Now for a show by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but who both found a calling running solo businesses. This is the Unfederated Podcast. Brother. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? <sighs> Pretty good. Uh, Siri. Siri. She's back. <laughs> so I had a pretty wild and crazy night tonight that I need to share with you. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine what that consists of. Please share. Uh, I, uh, I uh, participated in a Parks and Rec trivia night, um, which uh, was a lot of fun. Did you win it? Well, see, here's the thing about that. Uh, halfway through, we were in the lead. And, uh, we, the whole thing did really well with the exception of one question. Uh, the one question that we know on, on our team of like super fans, even remotely knew, didn't even have educated guests to submit. And that one question cost us the difference between first place and third place. What was the question? The question was, uh, name the names of Leslie and Ben's triplets. Oh, I didn't even know they ever named them. Yeah. That's like, I think there's one reference to them ever. Like we, yeah. I mean, like we all have just about every episode memorized and we were like dumb strucken. Dumb strucken. (laughs) What is that? Uh, You're just dumb strucken along. (laughs) Dumb strucken. What is the word I'm thinking of? Dumb struck. Dumb struck. Okay. Um, Yep. So that's how mentally exhausted I am from trying to think of the, the triplets names. Um, yeah, so even the uh, the guy I know who who's kind of uh, MCing the trivia night was like, "Yep, that question cost you." <laughs> We're like, perfect. So, anyways, we got third though, which and it was fun. It was it was like uh, they did a really good job with it, and it was a lot of questions. Like uh, he, we knew the format going in, and we had a pretty good idea of what the like. There's a certain type of question where they're going to ask for like a list of things and like, you know, the more answers, the more points you could get. And so we felt like we had a really good idea of what the good list questions were. And yeah. we, we, yeah, we had like three or four options and none of them were correct. Like they did a really good job of like pulling out some stuff we were, we were not prepared for. So, uh, it was, it was a good time. That's awesome. Well, I'm sorry that you didn't win and I'm disappointed in you as a person and a brother. Well, you know, I'll just uh, do some heavy drinking the rest of the night. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> two co- beers. Cope two my, beers. <laughs> cope with my failures. <laughs> it's that Wesley, Stephen, and Sonia. Yep. Yeah, that's what I that's that's what I hear. <laughs> the internet tells me. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, ill prepared for that one. I would have for sure been like Ruth Bader and. Yes. So like there's a joke in one of the other episodes where she and Ben have a bet. And if she wins the bet that she gets the name, the triplets, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so like, we're like, we know so many lines and random nuanced parts of all the other episodes, but we didn't know that one. So you'll never forget it now. (laughs) Nope. It's like the one question I missed on my driver's test when I turned turned, uh, 15. Um, the question is when are roads the slickest after when it just starts raining or after it's been raining for a long time, I put out a long time because of hydroplaning. I was wrong. It's when it first starts raining because the oil's on the road and I will never forget that. I feel like you could argue that one because like it went after it's been raining a long time and you have three feet of rushing water. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. And your car stalls yeah. and like you have to get out of the sunroof. Yeah. And- yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I have no clue what questions I assuredly missed on my driving test. Not at all. I probably didn't even look. They were like, you passed. And I was like, cool. Boom. (laughs) Give me the keys. Never even thought about like, which ones did I miss? And then that's probably why I've gotten some tickets sometimes. (laughs) I've gotten one ticket and I remember exactly why I got that too. Oh, really? Yeah. We should do a podcast on failure and how important it is to fail sometimes because of the lessons you learn oh yeah or don't yeah or don't don't (laughs) the lesson you learn is just keep moving forward like a shark but that that episode that episode is not today (laughs) because i i have some uh fairly tragic news to share oh my gosh other than you fit you lost Uh, yes third third place but yes um (laughs) Apparently, I watched the news the other day, and apparently uh-uh. there's a recession coming. How close is it? No one knows, but there's there's unemployment, and there's uh, inflation, and there's mortgage rates, and then there's uh, then there's a recession. That's that's what I got. I don't I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how all those are connected, but that most certainly you know are all leading to a recession. That. Seems likely. I mean, you know, it can't last forever. I I would say eventually that is likely to happen. The state we are in is likely to change. Um, so to the only other option. Yes. Well, um, our president tweeted to the contrary, but just in case he's wrong about that. Okay. Um, let's, let's hypothetically say that the news is right. All right. All right. This one news. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think about it a lot. Like my husband and I were walking through our neighborhood, which has got, undergone a ton of like urban renewal in the last couple of years. And we were like, wow, it's been really fun to be young people with money and a good economy for a couple of years. Go us. We've really enjoyed this. <laughs> Um, so, you know, when you're our age in your thirties and you became an adult in the great recession, you're kind of like, I think, assume that it's not going to last forever. Um, the good stuff. So, um, I think about it a lot. I was talking about it at coffee this morning with an immigration attorney, um, that I met at the conference last week, who was a really cool guy. He, um, pointed out that, uh, you know, he's kind of got two sides of his practice. Like when the economy is doing well, people are contacting him for help getting visas to come to the U.S. uh, and start businesses. Um, And that's really common. And when the economy is not doing well or when the politics change, he's getting a lot of removals of illegal, you know, immigrants or people whose visa has expired or whatever that he's helping um, them with. So both sides, he's kind of play it, it toggles between the two which is ideally what you want yeah yeah he's really got the casino of, of legal work going on yeah he does he really does the house always wins <laughs> yeah um and that's what i've attempted to do uh in trying to do more employer sided employment law is kind of hypothetical in my head that I'm thinking, okay, well, I set up businesses and help businesses when the economy is good. But when the economy is bad, you know, people are doing layoffs, people are um, suing companies who lay them off more because they're not able to just get a new job immediately. So that, um, that side is kind of better suited for a worse economy. But I haven't had to play that out yet. So I don't know if it's actually going to work. Yeah. I think one cool thing about it is you've got a plan for that, right? Um, I mean, 
uh, hasn't been tested yet. And there's only one way to test it, I suppose. And that just takes time, right? Um, I assume someone that's been doing this for a couple of decades has probably, you know, refined their plan a bit, um, or had to create one. Um, but, uh, that's super interesting. I, I don't really have a, have a plan. So so that's, uh, hearing you say that makes me feel like that's something I need to get together. I, most of my clients have 12 month deals with me. So, uh, at any point in time, you know, some mix of my clients, I can kind of project a year out. So I've thought, well, at least I have that much runway, you know, if things aren't looking good. Um, but I haven't thought much more past that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so I just want to circle back to what you said earlier, which is I have a plan for something that you don't have. A plan yeah, no. How about that? <laughs> I just want to really make sure we don't skate past that. We'll, we'll <laughs> add that to the show notes. Okay, <laughs> I put a lot of thought into this, Rob. Maybe you should. <laughs> Yeah. I, so I, I should say, and this isn't a defense of my lack of planning. I just haven't gotten that far. Um, we, so Rachel, my wife and I had a season where, uh, of, of our lives, uh, once we were married, probably about eight years of our, of, of an eight year span where life just kicked the crap out of us. Over yeah, and over and over. yeah. And, and so we, at some point in time, as a part of that decided like very intentionally that we are no longer making decisions based on fear. Like we were going to make decisions like that, but I was just becoming too, too strong of a part of our mindset and like our, you know, uh, our, our hopes and dreams. Right. Yeah. And so we like intentionally decided we weren't doing that anymore. And so we, we've kind of stuck to that. So like, I have not spent a ton of time thinking about the recession cause it feels a little bit like, you know, um, that kind of notion, like that's always around the corner, right? Like if you're in a recession, it's the worst recession. It's never going to end. If you're not in one, it, it's just cause you're buying time until the next one comes, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I guess some of that eight year span probably was during the great recession, I guess. Yeah. Uh, time like was. most of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and most, I mean, we certainly had some job things and some health things and some, you know, all, all the different factors, but, um, so, you know, I think there's always – okay, so I heard this interview of this golfer the other day, and I'll, if I can find it, I'll add it to the show notes. But it's a guy that was supposed to win the U.S. Open a couple weeks ago and a few weeks back, and he won the last two. He was going to be like the first person ever to win three in a row. You know, this is a tournament that's played once a year. And so they're interviewing him about the fact that he finished second place. And his interview was, you know, at one point in time I was a crappy golfer, and then I started, I quit worrying about making the cut and just started worrying about making the top 10. And I did. And then at some point I quit worrying about making the top 10 and I started worrying about winning, you know, winning tournaments. And then I did. And then I started worrying about, you know, quit worrying about winning tournaments and I started uh, worrying about winning majors. And his like point was he was setting his own floor and what he was capable of. And so like, you know, I feel like to some degree, a lot of the like, oh gosh, this guy's falling, this recession's coming, whatever, um, is is somewhat limiting our own minds. You know, like uh, you could argue that we might all do way better in the recession because people want to work with freelancers because we're more affordable than big firms, and we end up with like great business. You know, like we could all grow. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about you know like a shark ever forward kind of kind of mindset, and I think 
that's a great mindset to have in, in a recession time too. Um, so long as, you know, you've got your, your T's crossed and your lowercase J's audit, uh, dotted. <laughs> dotted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're it, like, it's impossible to predict how everything's going to fall and every recession is different. Um, you're in a, it seems like your industry kind of plays both ways. And I guess mine does too. I mean, marketing people should be spending money on when, when fewer people are buying things, you know, you should be working harder to get those people to buy your thing. Um, but whether that pans out because people view that as unnecessary expenditure for some reason, that's different. Um, but you know, and you just won't know and that'll be business to business, but yeah. And I've, I've got a few clients like e-commerce clients that like, if they quit doing what I do, like, I don't know what happens to their business. You know, like I'm a, like this, the function I provide is an integral part to their, you know, so like, I mean, I could see them doing it at a lesser scale, but like, I, I struggle to think they're just going to stop, you know, unless the business just stops. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Cause like, you know, I'm sure there's some gray area in there too, that I haven't quite thought about. And so maybe I'm, maybe I find a season where I'm doing the same amount of work for less money, you know? Um, but you know, I, you know, whatever. Um, uh, there's, there's a couple different ways that that could go. Like what, as you prepare for it with your plan and what have you, like, what are some of the things that that you have done to kind of, uh, be ready? Well, so I started thinking about this because I am always kind of thinking about it. Cause when you build, when you set businesses up, like <laughs> that's kind of, that's a pretty, um, recession vulnerable thing to do. <laughs> People aren't doing that as much. Um, and litigation peaks when you're, uh, when the economy is not doing well, cause people are fighting over bones and stuff. So litigators do better. Um, yeah, but I don't want to be a litigator because <laughs> I have to fight uh, over bones of businesses and carcasses and stuff. It's terrible. Um, so uh, I don't want to do that. Um, so what kind of business is still around if you're not setting businesses up, you know, and trying to figure that out? Mostly I'm just thinking about practice areas because, you know, you want to develop them. Um, I graduated law school in 2011, which according to the American Lawyer article that I read recently was, um, the, the worst job market, um, for JDs out there and fewer than 50% of the people who graduated got jobs. Um, so it was kind of like pretty impacted by the recession. A lot of folks who got jobs, uh, got laid off, um, from big firms and stuff. And when you're laid off super early or you're deferred, um, then that's, really like kicks your career. And a lot of those people that I've talked to who are now, you know, seven or eight years into practice like me, um, that they're still like, they've had a really weird track, you know, (laughs) like they, they're still kind of trying to come back from that. Um, because they didn't have the start that they initially thought they would. And maybe, you know, they went out on their own immediately out of law school. And then that's kind of a red flag to getting hired until you've been doing it a long time. And then maybe, you know, you prove yourself to somebody and you get hired or whatever. Um, so they've, you know, done more like contract work, um, and just like pay the bills, not the practice area they wanted to do type of thing. Um, so I think we'll all be pretty scrappy and prepared when it happens. And the folks, you know, in the years behind us, probably a lot less so. Um, 
because, you know, that's a benefit having gone through it. And, you know, maybe solos and small firms will be more desirable because we're cheaper. Um, maybe we'll be inundated with competition because everybody who gets laid off all of a sudden becomes a solo. Um, you know, both are kind of true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just about uh, trying to calm down, make smart decisions where you can. Um, like if there's a practice area or an industry that you can be in that seems like it would trend opposite of the other stuff you do, then, you know, spend time focusing on that, even though it's not in demand right now, like with the employer sided employment stuff. Um, I, that's not the biggest part of my practice right now because that's not what people are the most worried about. They're kind of just laying, if they want to fire somebody, they're firing them and giving them like a couple months severance and just like wiping their hands of it because they have the money that, you know, it's, it's a different economy. Um, but all that experience is giving me credibility and stuff so that if things turn, hopefully I'll be um, in a good spot to help them do like mass layoffs and stuff. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. That's a great <laughs> uh, spot to be in. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, but you know, like what, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. <laughs> um, you know, and there's bankruptcy attorneys who love it when the economy is bad because they make a ton of money and then they just are like, but it better get good again. Cause I invested all that money. <laughs> Um, so just keeping an eye out on it and taking a longer view, I think is wise. Um, I think personally, and you and I both feel this way that we are better positioned and safer as freelancers or solopreneurs or whatever you want to call it, um, than people traditionally employed are like, we're better able to weather a bad economy um, if you're at a regular job, you just get fired like summarily without warning potentially. Um, and even if you see it coming, you can't do anything about it to like change what you provide or what they provide or lower costs or, you know, do anything to, to navigate it. You just have to wait until somebody makes the decision and then you have to scramble for a new job in a bad economy. Whereas, you know, you and I have loads of clients. So it's like, you know, 30 little employers. So our risk is in 30 buckets instead of one. And if we see it coming down the pike, we can change our pricing structure or our delivery models or change the industries we're focusing in and we can just pivot and um, navigate it so much more carefully. So I think we're better positioned. We just have to keep a long view at it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, just the diversification, like I mentioned earlier, if I have to work just as hard for less money, that's better than not having any work or any money, you know? Um, so that's, that's always an option. Like no one ever comes to their staff and says, Hey, we're either going to fire you or you can take less money. Like, cause that's just goes against all the HR policies of, of happy employees, you know, um, <laughs> you know, who did that? <laughs> do I? Um, I, like my dad did that. <laughs> Remember? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's maybe the only one. <laughs> so he went to all of his employees and was like, uh, we can fire like one or two people or everybody can voluntarily take a pay cut. <laughs> so <laughs> He, uh, yeah, he and, and proper HR uh, policies are <laughs> not always hand in hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nope. <laughs> nope. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, that rarely happens, right? And most of the time it's, it's layoffs and that whole thing. Um, I think one of the things my wife and I were talking about this other day and this possibility, so we're building this house. And when we first started building the house, it felt like a kind of a stretch for, for us to take this move. But, um, we had been advised by people whose opinions we trust that like a house is a good place to stretch cause you want to be there a long time and you don't, you know, whatever. So we did. And over the time that we've been planning and, and now building the house, like, uh, it's been a really great season for us work-wise, uh, both of us. And, and so what felt like a huge stretch then doesn't feel like so much of a stretch anymore. And so we, we were kind of like contemplating the realities of that the other day when we were at the house and, uh, the new house that we're building. And it, it kind of dawned on us. One of the reasons, you know, uh, we aren't super worried about an approaching recession is that although our incomes have, have fluctuated from, you know, over the years, all over the map, you know, um, our liabilities really haven't. And in years we've made more money, we, it, it hasn't resulted in us like, you know, and I've talked in prior episodes about our aversion to debt. Um, it hasn't led to us going and buying, uh, assuming new car payments or, um, you know, uh, credit card debt or any of that kind of stuff that, that we would need to deal with in the future. Like everything that we've done has been dealt with, with money that we've already made, you know? Um, and so m- much like this house now we, you know, have this, uh, aspirational plan of, of paying it down and all that kind of stuff. And, and so like, you know, if a recession hits, that's, we won't do that as quickly, right? Like it just, the numbers w- won't be there, but, um, so long as everything's going well, we, we are, we're, we're going to hammer away at it. And, and, you know, we've structured our lives in such that even if our incomes, you know, got cut, cut dramatically, like we're still good with, with the, you know, we're still good with the mortgage payment. We're still good with the, like the essentials, right. Of, of all of our lives. And so it's just a matter of what we do with excess and with the excess, we're only, we're only working with like a cash system, right? We're not, we're not leveraging anything into the future because one of the things of, of our chosen uh, types of business is the, the future is just not, um, you know, we've talked uh, about security versus stability, right? It's, there's just not the stability into the future that, that some, some professions have or um, some employment models have. I think, um, you to that point uh with your business there's a couple well with all finances i mean yeah if you if you can be in a place where you you have as much surplus as possible um on in good years and not increase your expenditures then like do that that's great um one thing that I was lucky about, we waited a little bit later in life to buy our first house. A lot of our friends had gotten their first house um, sooner, like right out of college. But my husband and I were in school a lot longer and, you know, just didn't. So by the time we got our house, we kind of skipped the the first house thing. And a lot of our friends told us they had these, you know, really big plans for paying off their mortgage in really, you know, short amount of time. And they committed themselves to that <laughs> in their mortgage. And then one of them wanted to change jobs and couldn't because they couldn't actually afford the mortgage. Um, and so they were like, you know, get, get a longer loan and pay it off more quickly. 
Um, and I know that kind of goes counterintuitive to some of the, the ideas of, you know, being really debt averse. But if you're riding really close or to something and you have the option to give yourself the flexibility to, you know, pay just one mortgage a month if, if things go south, you know, then instead of two or if you're doubling up or whatever, um, you know, that can be something to consider just like, yeah, I can afford to take a really aggressive um, response to like my student loan payments right now, but I shouldn't necessarily, I don't actually have any student loan payments, but in theory, you know, like, like I did this actually, I paid off my student loans really, really, really aggressively in my first uh, year and a half of practice. And then um, my first firm I was at, uh, I got a call from my, um, the partner I worked with at like 9 PM from her cell phone, very alarming on a Monday. And she was like, the firm is dissolving. And <laughs> I had $2,000 in savings. <laughs> and I was like, cause I was 24 and I thought I was doing the responsible thing, aggressively paying off my loans. And I thought $2,000 was a lot of money. And, but it really wasn't when I like immediately thought about it realistically as though I didn't have a paycheck coming in. <laughs> You know, so maybe keep keep that kind of thing in mind and try to you know keep a lot of buffer um, if you can. And then for me, you know, my biggest uh, business expense is my office, and um, that's a year to year thing. And and if I could find a place that I liked as much that was month to month, I would I would prefer that. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was thinking the other day. I think as a, as a kid out of college, out of, you know, business school or whatever, I used to be, um, probably, I don't know. I was guilty of thinking that for things to be sophisticated, they needed to be complicated, you know, like business models and theories and whatever. And like the older I get, and I was just thinking that this weekend, I realize that's not true anymore and I'm not like super old, right? I'm in my mid thirties, but mm, as, as I've gotten older old. <laughs> you know, in your heart, yeah, you're oh, an yeah, old, yeah. old man. <laughs> I, I'm the spirit animal of a yeah. uh, uh, 90 year old. Yeah. Um, but I'm realizing that in a lot of ways, the most sophisticated stuff is usually the most simple, uh, you know, things. And so this notion of like, Avoiding debt, having lots of, you know, stockpiling cash, yeah. um, you, you know, like <laughs> gold bars. <laughs> yeah. Like keeping your expenses low. Like yeah. all this seems yeah. like not uh, earth shattering kind of advice. Yeah. But it's the, like, it is far and away like time tested, right? Like, um, you know, versus like some sophisticated, like bond strategy where you're <laughs> or like move. insurance leveraging situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of really sophisticated approaches and, and I don't know that just because they're uh, sophisticated doesn't mean they're they're valuable. You know, just because they're complicated doesn't mean they're, yeah. they're sophisticated. Yeah, right. yeah. Thank you. Um, and so, like, I think a lot of people get lost in that and and like all the details, and it makes it seem like it's something's more, um, you know, clever than it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And and especially when you're younger, you think, gosh. If I could, I'll be extra responsible and do everything faster and <laughs> like that, you know, pace yourself a little bit probably is not so bad. Like it'd be a lot better to have um, cash, 
cash is good to have um, rather than being cash poor and having like zero student loans as a 24 year old. Well, at least I was like, I guess I'll go get a job as a barista. <laughs> it was a real risk, really a wake up call for me, um, which is, I, I think, a, a good thing about being in our cohort is um, we had those types of experiences that um we learned a lot of lessons that maybe uh, somebody who graduated three years ago didn't get to experience yet. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll mention too, that I've, I've been giving some thought to um, looking into the future is, is having open lines of communication with your clients. Um, I think that's something that is in the hustle bustle of, of daily work and, and kind of the, the product that we make. Uh, sometimes gets put on the back burner or sometimes get over, you know, taken for granted or overlooked. And, and something I've been trying to do a bit more this year is be more intentional about keeping those lines of communication open. Um, and I think that as, as you look ahead and maybe looking down the barrel of a recession, like that could be really beneficial for, for some of your own individual planning to, to kind of better understand the health of the client um, and their business and like where their head's at on stuff could could sometimes give you some really good intel that helps you make more um you know wiser decisions on your end and your planning that if you didn't have you, you know you don't want to wait till the ship's going down to start asking questions right you kind of want to be able to uh have that free flow of information as much as you can and and I think for a lot of my clients they kind of view that as like I'm being their business partner a little bit you know like uh, I'm a partner not a vendor kind of thing um, and, and often I've actually found that, you know, many of them kind of feel lonely too, you know, they like enjoy having someone to talk to about it or, um, you know, in my case, these are discussions that aren't, they're not like paying for, right? Like I'm, I'm not building for the time, but, um, in, in a world where I work with a lot of, you know, for example, e-commerce companies, some of them kind of want the reassurance of knowing what other e-commerce owners are doing, you know, and I can kind of provide, so much as it's appropriate with, you know, the confidentiality I have with my clients, I can kind of provide them some insight from just what I see as a whole and, um, and get those lines of communications flowing. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're hitting, um, on something that is very valuable. Like, um, <laughs> I went to look for hardwood for this res uh, renovation we're doing this morning. I went to a place and, um, in person and it was nice. And I was like, Oh, this is good. And, you know, I was asking all these questions like, where does your hardwood come from? So it's not treated with any chemicals. It doesn't come from like China. It won't make us sick or anything. And I got the quote and then fast forward like two hours after I've talked to three different <laughs> hardwood stores, I'm like, on Home Depot's website, ordering it and being like, I don't care where it's from. <laughs> like, so I went from caring to not at all because it's like all hardwood that looks the same. And it was an $800 difference. It was a factor of like 50% of what I was going to pay. Um, and I just didn't care that much about it because they're not installing it. It's literally just a product. And it's a product from, from, you know, the people down the street with their nice little showroom or, you know, Home Depot where they're kind of a hassle to get it from, but it's the same product either way. Um, 
they're not actually providing any uh, unique service or valuable input or you know anything that is specific to them for that uh, additional cost other than like maybe less of a cancer risk um <laughs> it's amazing how quickly i stopped caring about that though <laughs> like it was it was less than an hour um and it made me think about my own pricing structure and like if i'm just cranking out contracts like, you know, it's my contract. Maybe, you know, it, it is better than legal zoom, but it's, it's a one to one, right? That, that fancy hardwood's probably better than the stuff I got from Home Depot, but it's, it, they're both contracts. It's, um, providing that like advice and counsel and partnership that is something that people, you know, that you can justify, uh, charging more for than just, you know, bargain basement prices. Um, in a recession. So I think what you're hitting on is really valuable is like making yourself a valuable person and not just selling products. Yeah. And I, th- I think it can be hard. You know, I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, it'd be nice if, if we took kind of the, the last, you know, the season while we're making hay, right? Like if we could take the fumes that we're riding off of and reinvest in, in our relationships and like maybe going to visit our clients face to face more doing whatever kind of things you might do to strengthen those relationships. And like, you know, you could do that and those folks could still bail on you, you know, like for, for real reasons or, or, you know, reasons you'll never know, right? Like it could be that the business is struggling and it's nothing that you could do. And it's just a factor of life a fact of life. Um, or it could be, you know, they just ghost you and disappear and it's just awkward and weird. Um, but you know, you can't get emotionally upset when that happens, right? Like, and it doesn't mean that your investment in trying to build those relationships was wasted or bad. It's just a matter of like, you know, you're not going to catch, catch every fish in the lake, right? Like, um, you're, you should invest in all of them, and hope that the ones that do work out, you know, some percentage of those may not have if, if there weren't that effort, you know, um, it's just easier. I've found that it's easy to kind of take that kind of thing personally. Um, when, when it does get weird, but, um, and, you know, in this kind of situation, if we're under the context that we've got a, a recession coming, we're getting our business ready for it. Um, it's, it's taking the time to kind of, um, you know, not only solidify our own book of business, but start to kind of uh, fortify some of those relationships too. Yeah. Positioning yourself as a partner um, with people going through business with them, I think is because we are. (laughs) Um, That seems to be a really good way of making sure that if your um, clients don't stay your clients, they at least stay advocates for your success generally. Yeah. And you get that like, hey, when things get better, I'm coming back to you kind of conversation. You can live with that, right? Um, I've found, and, and Sarah, you've you've used this kind of language before, but uh, I don't think we've ever talked about it. I've found that one other common way to like open up those lines of communication is on the basis of the fact that we're all business owners. You know, like if I'm talking to, you know, someone that's kind of in the upper management position, like. Um, even though like I'm running a one person business, we can often relate on that level, you know? And sometimes I feel like, you know, even stuff like how I build my services or whatever, like I can kind of say, you know, from one business owner to another, like, this is what I'm thinking. How does this sound to you? Uh, kind of questions and, um, and it's received better, you know, cause people, one, people love to give advice, but two, they, they recognize that like, if the, if the roles were reversed, 
you know, and, and they were getting billed versus, you know, or, or they were billing me first and I was having to pay them, you know, um, how they'd want to be treated. And it kind of, kind of puts the, um, kind of puts them in a different mindset, not just like protectionism or whatever, which is, is really helpful when people start, you know, as you, uh, the analogy used earlier, fighting over bones, um, yeah, be helpful. Yeah. Getting on the same side of somebody instead of being the adversary as the vendor trying to take money from them. You're like fellow business owner also trying to make it in this tough, tough world. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's true. So why not? Anything that's true, I think is fair game. Um, Well, I I think, I don't know. Do you feel better having thought about it a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I mean, action item for me is to kind of figure out uh, if and how my the nature of my business needs to change, like functionally, um, to provide um, value in a world where we we are in recession, like you mentioned, kind of complementary services. But um, I suspect my world is just going to be like a scaled up, scaled down kind of thing, you know, um, more than likely. But I want to give that some thought, and um, uh, so yeah. Yeah. Having an out on your big expenses seems to be a big deal. Like, you know, that's where having contractors help you versus an employee would become a really big deal. It's a a dramatic turn in the economy. Um, Yeah. So think think about it when you're signing contracts for services or overhead. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think that's a good one. And from for the most part, a lot of freelancers don't have that many big, you know, uh, monthly expenses for our business. You've got office space. You mentioned it's the biggest for yours. I would imagine that's the case. Um, I have a particular like, software I subscribe to that's, that's relatively sizable, uh, comparatively speaking, but, um, yeah, knowing, knowing what your options are there, if, especially if it's something that like renews annually or whatever, it might be a good time to start kind of negotiating, uh, a little bit more flexibility in those things. Yeah. I think You'll never regret that. Nope. All cool. right. Stickers. Yeah, stickers. Yeah. Uh, shoot us a message on federated.studio with your address if you want us to drop one in the mail to you, and we'll get it to you. Yep. yep. That's how it works. Cool. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thanks, brother. Yep. Good talking. Talk to you later. You can find show notes from this episode at unfederated.studio. And if this podcast has helped you in your journey, Say thanks by rating and reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts.